Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. It is October the 27th, exactly a week until you know what. Uh, Very short term, but there are more long-term challenges and problems facing us. Uh, More than just the problem of Donald Trump and the American election and American democracy. One of the themes that we've been focusing a little bit on in this show, although I think probably not quite enough, is the question of the environment and of global warming and of the broad pollution and the, uh, of the world, of the wrecking of, of the earth. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I did what I thought was, was a very uh, eye-opening interview with a young woman activist, Hannah Tester. She's only 18 years old. She wrote a book about taking on the plastic industry. And of course, uh, we certainly need to take on the plastic industry in terms of the the way in which plastics are decimating um, the environment. Uh, Hannah's book is a very short book. It's highly polemical. It's not erudite. She's an an 18-year-old young woman still in high school. Uh, Today, we go to a very different kind of book. the Contamination of the Earth is, is a dense, very well-researched, very jarring book by Francois Jarry and Thomas Leroux, both French academics, experts on uh, the environment and pollution. I guess you'd call them uh, environmental historians. Uh, and we're lucky enough to have uh, Thomas uh, Leroux, who is in Paris today. Uh, Thomas, um, let me start you with a simple question. Uh, you've written this history of pollution, what you call pollutions. Uh, so perhaps you might tell us what exactly is a pollution? A pollution is a, a kind of alteration of the environment by uh, the introduction of, uh, of a substance uh, which disturb uh, the ecosystem. It's the current definition, but uh, in history, uh, pollution uh, had uh, different uh, meanings through the times. Uh, for example, in the 18th century, it was a kind of profanation of uh, religious areas, for example. So, well, the, before, another... uh, Thomas, before we get to the modern history of pollutions, which is what your book is about, um, was there pollution in in the world before 1700? Did it exist in antiquity? Did it exist in the Middle Ages? Yes, of course. Uh, every time that uh, there is uh, human activities, there is a, a kind of pollution. The difference between the antiquity, um, Middle Ages, and today is the level level of pollution and uh, different kinds of pollution. For example, there was no plastic pollution uh, during the antiquity and middle ages and none of these kind of images um i wouldn't say your book is a fun read and i don't think it's designed to be one i found it very jarring and eye-opening deeply troubling you break 
the history of pollution down or the history of modern pollution, the contamination of the earth into four periods. Yeah. Perhaps we might go through these. Uh, you begin in your history in 1700, between 1700 and 1830, you talk about what you call the industrialization of the environment. What does that mean, Thomas? That means that it was the time um, of the beginning of industrialization, both uh, in uh, Great Britain and then uh, continental Europe and then uh, uh, America. And uh, at that time, uh, uh, the, the societies uh, were very afraid about pollution. And uh, at the very beginning of industrialization, the authorities, they uh, wouldn't accept any kind of pollution uh, except at a very uh, low levels. And um, industrialization of the environment, that means that uh, through a decade, through some decades, uh, there, is, there was a struggle between um, the authorities who wanted to, to tackle pollution, to, to, to regulate pollution, and industrialists who wanted to product. And uh, at the beginning of the 19th century, finally, industrialists, uh, they won the battle. Mm. And well, before we get to the second stage, mm. how did the society of um, early industrialization, how did they make sense of pollution? This was a, quite a religious society. Did they see it in apocalyptic terms? Uh, no, not really. Uh, it was... Uh, it was always at the at the local level uh, in a community for example that uh, they could see that uh, an artisan uh, an industrialist could uh, pollute water for example and it was not a kind of uh, apocalypse or uh, religious matter but a disturbation of the of the environment and uh, for example it could um, lead to uh, to a water which was not potable anymore, anymore, drinkable anymore. So uh, for that reason, um, the, the, the men responsible for pollution were, they were prosecuted in, in courts to be judged and, and uh, condemned. Uh, for example, it, it could, uh, the industrialists could go to, to jail in prison because of uh, pollution, because it was a big disturbation of the environment. It was called nuisance, and the nuisance was a, a, a kind of a category which could uh, bring judges in courts to condemn uh, the sources of pollution. Thomas, um, did people, in terms of their appreciation of the environment? I know this might be a hard question, but did they love their environment, the natural environment? Were people troubled when the rivers started to turn different colors? Did people in pre-industrial world, did they, did they have a sense of their environment outside of religious sensibility? Uh, yes, uh, we, we can say that uh, they were uh, not in harmony with the environment, but very, uh, very close to their environment because they were living uh, in proximity very closely with uh, the earth, uh, water, uh, the woods, 
etc. So we are not disconnected as we are uh, from the environment. So we we can't say that they loved their environment, but they were uh, vulnerable populations, uh, vulnerable people who were um, living thanks to the resources from the earth, from the rivers. And so they were very concerned about uh, any disturbation of uh, the equilibrium or uh, about the way they lived uh, in the environment. Let's move on, Thomas, to the second stage. So we have the what you call the industrialization of the environment between 1700 and 1830. It begins to change. Uh, the, the second period between 1830 and 1914, the b real beginning, many historians dis, you know, uh, argue the, the beginnings of the, the, industrialization, the, the, industrial, the, the, the core industrialization, what you call the age of progress. So you talk about naturalizing pollutions. What, what does that mean in this period, in the 19th century? Yeah, that means that before um, 1830, around 1830, um pollution was not uh something considered as normal it was something bad which which would be uh, condemned in courts and from uh, the second quarter of the 19th century uh it depends of countries uh obviously but uh it's the time when pollution uh, has been naturalized. That means that it was considered as a phenomenon which, which could be uh, accepted by societies because it was uh, one of the consequences of the prosperity and the growth of industries. So from this time pollution was not really condemned contained uh, as something really wrong as it was before and uh, that's why we we call this phenomenon as a naturalization because uh from that time pollution was see uh, was seen that uh, as something um, normal and inevitable and part of progress was this a, a particular responsibility of, uh, shall we say, progressive politics, uh, capitalists, liberal economists? Because this was, of course, the period of um, free markets and yeah. of open economies. Was it the work, this, this naturalization, I find it a fascinating term, this naturalization of pollution, did it go hand in hand with free market economic ideology? Yeah, uh, in terms of naturalization, we could say that it's a cultural pro uh, cultural um, process, but in fact, it's clearly linked to uh, uh, economic uh, dynamics, especially uh, the freedom for uh, industrialists to product what they want, when they want, and uh, in the process they want. Uh, for example, some of the products uh, which were uh, completely prohibited uh, before 1800s, uh, I mean the mercury, 
uh, arsenic or uh, um, oxide of lead, leads, for example, they were now, now uh, allowed to be uh, manipulated into the process of production. And um, it was a consequence of uh, the free market and the, the demand from the industrialists to be free to produce what they want. And uh, the industrialists said that uh, instead of being um, prosecuted in courts, they could pay for uh, compensation for pollution. Or uh, the second uh, argument was they could um, improve techniques of production uh, so to, to mitigate uh, pollution. That's what that was the, the two main arguments from the industrialists. Was it a conspiracy, Thomas? I know it's easy for non-historians like myself to believe in conspiracy theories. You've written a very dense, well-researched book. But was there an element of conspiracy here, sort of making pollution acceptable in order to make individuals, companies, and indeed societies wealthy? Well, no, it's not a conspiracy, but um, it was a process uh, of um, industrialization. You know, when uh, industrialists, they, uh, they wanted to produce, they, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't uh, uh, decrease the level of pollution in, in some parts. So uh, they push for uh, a change of legislation, a change of regulation. And um, it was a very big battle, a big struggle between uh, uh, industrialists and citizens or uh, juries, for example. And uh, conservatives. I mean, in the 19th century, you saw the beginnings of a, a conservative or conservation movement speaking on behalf of nature or what existed of nature. Is that fair? Uh, uh, yes, at the end of the 19th century. There is the conservative movement, but um, that movement didn't uh, interact a lot with uh, uh, the regulation of pollution, in fact, because uh, they acted uh, on uh, um, in some areas which were not really uh, linked to uh, industrial areas. So it was two separated uh, movements. Um, and uh, the relationship between uh, both were not really uh, close. So unfortunately, Thomas, this is not a Hollywood movie. There's no happy ending. And the story gets worse. Between 1914 and 1973, uh, your book talks about the massive scaling of pollution in, in the toxic age. Um, is this just more and worse pollution in the 20th century? Yes. Uh, we can measure the level of pollution, and there is no doubt that uh, in the 20th century, pollution increased a lot. Uh, it, it increased because um, the first, that the pollution, um, the demography increased a lot in, uh, in the world. And uh, at the beginning of the 20th century, we were uh, 2 billion people. Now uh, we are 8 million at least uh, not um, seven, eight million, eight, eight billions. Uh, so the level of consumption increased a lot, uh, which 
provoked uh, um, an increase of production. But the second aspect is that um, in the 20th century, uh, there, there was new kind of pollution, especially coming from uh, carbochemistry chemistry and petrochemistry. With so that, new, that's the toxic age, that's what you mean. Yeah, by. yeah with uh, new uh, substances uh coming from this uh, carbochemistry and uh, new synthetics and these uh, synthetics uh are very offensive from the environment for the environment synthetic synthetic materials yeah synthetic materials because um uh it's not the same um uh um way of interaction with the ecosystems uh, because we are, we've got here substances which uh, last a lot of time in the environment, and we, which can kill uh, the, the, the fishes in the sea, etc. Yeah, I don't know whether to laugh or cry, Thomas, because it gets worse after our toxic age or in the post-toxic age. From 73 up until today, you, you, the end of your book talks about charging headlong into the abyss. I mean, it, it sounds like we were kind of in the abyss in the, in the 20th century. Why is the period after 1973, why is that different from the toxic age? Well, it's, um, it's both difference and, and the amplification of uh, processes that... Uh, that uh, were uh, at stage in the 20th century. Uh, we, we can uh, notice um, the continuation of um, some uh, pollution which were present before, uh, for example, the, <clears throat> the consumption of uh, coal or oil. Uh, it's not new, but uh, it increased again and again, and um, the I, mean, new... I mean, going back to um, Hannah Tesla, uh, uh, plastics have played an important role here, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. From the beginning of the seventies, plastic became a very uh, a new pollu pollutant. In fact, because before this time, uh, it was a very it was not uh, a product which was uh, which was uh, through uh, in the sea or in the rivers. Uh, the, the other new aspect uh, of pollution is uh, informatic computers. Digital. Yeah, I was I was yeah. really struck actually. Yeah. In, in your conclusion about the role of digital technology, which many people take for granted is clean, but you suggest is, is anything but clean. Yes, it's not completely clean because uh, it requires uh, lots of uh, electricity, of energy. And uh, the second thing is that it requires uh, a lot of um, uh, metals and uh, compounds to, 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 to be set up. Uh, and for a very small amount of uh, substance in your computer, you need to extract from the earth a huge amount of minerals uh, and more and more uh, through times. So uh, the, both um, 
production of uh, mat of uh, computers or uh, or phones uh, and the the management of this uh, uh, digital resources to, to to send email or to for streaming or uh, mm. anyway uh, uh, so so in other words what you're saying is that you and I talking on our computers, people watching this on our computers, yeah. it is contributing to this descent into the abyss. You also talk about it compounding global inequality, that, that the mining of these materials for computers and for, for digital technology often takes place outside the West, outside Europe and North America, and tends to compound the destruction of the environment in um in 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 the non-industrialized world uh thomas um uh, hannah tester who is very different from you as i said she's not an academic uh, she's an activist uh and when i talked to her she said we need four r's to to confront this crisis you're an academic of course but i'm assuming you're against pollution she said refuse reuse reduce uh, actually, five R's, refuse, reuse, mm. reduce, recycle, and perhaps the most important, raise awareness. Um, your book is, of course, raising awareness, perhaps a little bit more academically. Do you agree with Hannah? I mean, how are we supposed to confront this catastrophe? Well, I think uh, there, there are lots of uh, movement uh, which are really aware of uh, pollution and uh, uh, concerned about uh, this, and they try to 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 bring solutions. Uh, I think uh, it's a part of uh, the solution to to reuse and to to consume less, con to consume less, and to to recycle. But um, in fact, uh, it's probably not uh, the solution. We need to. To bring together uh, some different kind of expertise, uh, and uh, maybe one of the solution would be to to uh, regulate more. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's interesting you... that she, in her R's, maybe it's because she's an American. There's no regulate, refuse, yeah. reuse, reduce, recycle, <laughs> raise awareness. The sixth R you would add would be regulate thomas let me ask you this question because i reading between the lines of your book i got the sense that you see the history of the contamination of the earth and the history of capitalism very much bound up with one another do you think to really confront this catastrophe this environmental disaster this contamination of the earth we have to also confront capitalism itself uh, yes, I think so, because uh, if we look at history, we can uh, see that uh, uh, the naturalization of pollution and um, the, the way we confront with pollution by technology and uh, compensation, uh, they are completely linked to capitalism uh, before um, the... Um, understanding of pollution so before the industrialization so before 1800 um, 
this uh, the, the understanding of pollution was completely linked to social um, social interaction within a local community. So capitalism brought into the market a lot of products, and uh, uh, in the same way, uh, there was a phenomenon of um, liberalization of uh, production, liberalization of um, of uh, the market and uh, uh, it was from this um, from this liberalization that um, pollution began to be accepted and from this time we we could see that it's the same story so uh, the story is that pollution can be mitigated through technological uh, arrangements and through compensation uh, when we think about uh, the carbon market it's the same way uh, to 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 fight bit, uh, against the climate climate change for example uh, and uh, in the same way um, lots of engineers or uh, technocrats they said that uh, techniques or technology uh, will save the world and but uh, we can see from the historical point of view that it's not the case uh, through uh, <clears throat> since um, since 1800 uh, we history shows that there are always technological improvements uh, but uh, at the same time we can see an increase in pollution of pollution right so your book i think does one thing it, it shows is that this idea of progress and of technological innovation has gone along with the contamination of the earth. This is a, a hugely important book, Thomas. Uh, it's not a fun book, but I think we all have, uh, I wouldn't say an obligation to read it, but we should all look at this book uh, because, because it really reveals the environmental catastrophe that we, uh, we still participate in. Uh, and I wanna thank you for the book and for the interview uh, and and finally we always ask this of um our guests on the show i know you're in paris in addition to this book which i said everyone should read uh, what else would you suggest people read in these strange times um i would suggest uh, to read uh, uh the grapes of wrath uh, by uh, stenbeck uh, because i think it's quite related to this book uh, with uh, during the 30s crisis uh, and the transformation of property in the United States, uh, but also linked to uh, uh, the dust bowls uh, in, the, in the United States, which was a very big change in the environment. So change in the environment, change in property, in agriculture, and uh, linked to uh, some kind of injustice. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too.
Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.